You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Dori Berenstein. Welcome to Deep Dive Broadway a podcast that takes you inside the creation of Broadway shows. Today, we dive deep into the spectacular Broadway show, Come From Away, with the creators, director, choreographer, and two original stars. Come From Away is based on the remarkable true story of when 7,000 stranded passengers from all over the world were grounded in the small town of Gander, Newfoundland, in the wake of events of 9-11. Cultures clashed and nerves ran high, but uneasiness turned into trust, music soared into the night, and gratitude grew into enduring friendships. This special event podcast was recorded at BroadwayCon. Let's join MC Josh Lehman for the introduction. Hi, everybody! Happy BroadwayCon! Oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you're all here. My name is Josh Lehman. I am the host of Josh Swallows Broadway on the Broadway Podcast Network. Um, Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, And you get to be a part of a live taping of Deep Dive Broadway. This is when you applaud and cheer. Yay! And um, it's going to be a really great episode because this is... Uh, one of my favorite shows ever, ever. It's one of the only shows that I can see over and over again. My family comes to New York and they're like, what should we see? And I'm like, come from away. They're like, we did that last time. And I'm like, yes, go back, <laughs> go back. Um, and of course we have our host, Dory Berenstein. She is a four-time Tony Award winner. Um, what, you all, like Emmy, Olivier, what can't she do? And um, she was lead producer of The Prom. And uh, yeah, so I hope that you all enjoy. Please follow us on Instagram, Broadway Podcast Network. Um, tag us. Listen to my show. Listen to their show. And tell all your friends. And if you hate it, Tell all your enemies. Okay, have a great time. Happy BroadwayCon. Thank you, Josh. Uh, couldn't be, <laughs> I completely agree with everything Josh just said. I saw Come From Away again last night uh, for my fifth time. Uh, I, I think I truly am obsessed with the show. And just like Josh, I send everybody I've ever met. So. Just to get a, a, an idea here, um, how many people here have seen Come From Away? Wow. Wow. 
I rest my case. <laughs> and you'll all need to see it again and again and again. And I, and, and I, I mean that because I, I think in the crazy world we're living in, a show that is all about heart and hope and, and harmony and giving and, and kindness, you know, it's just such an important thing to be reminded of over and over again. And so it is with incredible admiration uh, and gratitude that I welcome our panel uh, today. Um, we are so fortunate to have uh, the creators, uh, Irene Sankoff and David Hine. The incredible director, uh, Christopher Ashley, who is also the artistic director at La Jolla Playhouse. Kelly Devine, the incredible choreographer. And two incredible actors you've all seen who were in the original opening night performance of Come From Away, uh, Joel Hatch and Astrid Van Weer. So, you know, I know you're a dancer, and I know you even have a degree in set design set and yeah. lighting design, uh, but you decided you were going to work together, and you were going to write a musical. Like, who doesn't want to write a musical? But you guys did. Um, but that was day one, and you heard about this reunion taking place in Gander. Could you, could you set the scene for us? Day one, blank page, what happened? So this was our this was our second musical. Um, we uh, a friend of ours, Michael Rubinoff, who I think is back there waving, uh, uh, introduced us to the story and said, "Do you think this would make a good musical?" And we started researching it, and we found out that there was a commemoration ceremony happening uh, for the tenth anniversary out in Gander, and we um, we decided to go out there and we applied uh, to the. Canadian government for a grant, I know, right? Um, and they gave us money to make art, because Canada. Do you remember how much it was? I, 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 I think it was between 18 and 21,000. Was it 18? Yeah. I think 18 was the first installment, but wasn't there more? I don't know why I'm nitpicking. Okay, go. <laughs> um, so we got to go out there, and we got, uh, we, uh, we got there early. Um, we got to stay there for about um, uh, three weeks to a month. We got to stay longer because our hotel budget um, was not used at all because no one would let us stay at a hotel. <laughs> they, they, uh, they kept putting us up and feeding us, and we got screeched in uh, multiple times. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was just listening to uh, to another podcast about Comfort Away, and Beverly Bass was talking about her experience of uh, walking down into the lobby of the Comfort Inn and being told, there's a couple playwrights here. And so we just randomly uh, wow. met everyone, and uh, we're just really lucky to meet um, some really incredible, wonderful people in here. Every story we heard was better than the last one, and we just um, we came home uh, so excited to tell every single one of them uh, in, in a 100-minute musical. <laughs> What was it about the idea when you first heard it that made you think this is a musical that we want to write? So David and I lived in Manhattan over September 11th, 2001, and we were living in a residence for international students from seven, it was 110 different countries um, and uh, 700 students. And uh, when we moved back to Canada, we'd kind of put that experience behind us, but something about the story of being somewhere with people from all different cultures, all different backgrounds, and coming together, 
it, it, I was like, oh, wait, we kind of lived this. You know, I feel like, and I, I feel the music that, you know, one of our friends pulled out a piano that night and started playing, and we all started drinking wine and staying up way too late. And I was like, wait, I think I, think I get this. I think, I think I know what happened out there, even though it was far, far away. And um, uh, being out there and, and trying to, like, capture in a bottle, if you will, just the amazing generosity and goodwill and gratitude from the people who returned 10 years later was uh, even more amazing than I could have thought when I first, when we first started thinking about turning this into a musical. And uh, your creative process, this is before uh, we get to La Jolla, but your creative process, um, uh, you ended up preparing a script, and I believe you were pregnant, and you were at the hospital when yes. you were turning in a draft. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. God. I think it scored me another night, because I was like, no, you don't understand. We're taking a show to New York. And they're like, uh-huh. Okay. Let's, uh, we'll just give you another night here, then, and we'll keep an eye on you. And I was like, okay, that's good, because, you know, the draft is due tomorrow, and I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a picture. Well, holding a baby and a breast pump, so you'll never see that picture, but, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, wait, so so we came back from uh, the creative process was uh, we came back from Gander with every piece of paper we possibly could. We wrote we had this. Um, uh, if you if you look at uh, Come From Away, Welcome to the Rock, the the book that came out, it's got one example of a page where we wrote down every little story anecdote we possibly could hear, and we just had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. We also had every letter that people sent back. Uh, we had um, uh, newspaper articles from the Gander Beacon, from St. John's. We had uh, websites from around the world with people telling their stories, and we spread it out in a in a huge room. We tried to um, compile stories into stories about love, or stories about food, or stories about faith and tried to somehow link them all together and then um, and then put them together and the first the first uh, the first version of it was about five hours long or it was it was a hundred pages before they even got off the plane uh, and then uh, and, and then we were very lucky to uh, to be able to workshop it at Sheridan College at the Canadian Music Theatre Project which Michael was starting um, and then uh, to take it down to Goodspeed uh, musicals for their festival of new musicals that they have there and then take it to the NAMPT festival as well which is where uh, we met Junkyard Dog. And did you, uh, in terms of shaping it, you have, you're sitting on thousands and thousands and thousands of stories, you're trying to figure out how to shape it into a show with 12 actors um, playing, did you figure out early on that they're gonna have to play 20 parts a piece? You, you, in terms of the parameters that you set up for yourself to be able to tell this story, what, you know, early on, did you, did you set clear rules? I think there's a very Canadian sensibility of, of like, uh, let's get as many people as we possibly can, and if we have chairs, we'll be okay. Then, then <laughs> And, and like, like, let's, you know, we'll get a barn, we'll put on a show, we'll save the theater. You know, this, right, but, but like, like Astrid, you get this, like you get in a van, like that's Cana a lot of Canadian theater as you get in a van. Not in a lot of vans. <clears throat> right, and, and it's, <laughs> your entire show has to fit in a van. I, I, for Sheridan, um, uh, we had 14 students, I don't remember how we negotiated that, but we clearly, we wanted to represent as many as we possibly could, but, uh, but also it, it, it emerged really quickly that telling a story about Come From Aways and, uh, and Ganderites uh, became really powerful when people switched between the characters. And uh, it just reminded us that you could always be in any one of those positions. You could, you, you know, in an instant, you could need to be helped or you could be the one who's able to help in those instances. And that's what it reminded us of. And it's just fun, right? It's, 
And before we get on to the next phase, just a little bit about the music and how that came together. Yeah. So I grew up on Newfoundland music, um, listening to bands like uh, Great Big Sea. Here's, here's some bands you should check out. Uh, Great Big Sea, uh, Shani Ganuk, um, uh, what's it? Now the yeah, that once the, uh, um, there's a bunch of incredible um, uh, Newfoundland bands that inspired me. And when we first started working um, uh, with Ian, our amazing music director, who's working with these guys on Diana right now, um, uh, he asked for some influences, and I made this like massive mixtape, a company with this huge Dropbox of like every single song I had ever loved, and and I, there was a whole bunch of things that I wanted to put in there from uh, you know a heavy Bowron beat. The, there's a great big C song. Uh, that that inspired that to to specific mandolin and penny whistle lines and and, and things like that. So I, I I knew that I wanted to put that stuff in, and it was this um, music that I'd grown up with that has been in Canada for hundreds of years, uh, but it's never really been on a Broadway stage. And so it's there's something about it that's even though it's ancient. Uh, it uh, it feels brand new when you put it in this new context, and it's also it's how they respond. Everyone we interviewed out there, you know, brought out three instruments and played us something, when we, you know, and it's how they get through their terrible winters out there, and it's how, you know, they, res yeah, right now, they are buried to death, and they are having parties, and it's, like, they're the only people in the world who could be having, like, the, you know, a massive natural disaster, uh, and this huge climate change natural disaster, and they, and everyone wants to be there, because it looks so joyous, and they're <laughs> digging ice tunnels, and, and you know, um, skiing down hills, and it's, uh, and, and pulling out an instrument. So that's how they respond to um, to things going wrong, is they respond by getting up and dancing and playing music, and that's that's where the music of the show, and helping each other. Yeah. Uh, so Christopher Ashley, <clears throat> artistic director of La Jolla Playhouse. Uh, you've seen so many shows that he has directed, and I know that you care deeply about creating shows with social awareness. Um, you like to play with form, things that are culturally relevant. So. This certainly checks off all the boxes, but I am curious to know how you first found out about the show and what your initial reaction was and how, what, you know, what were your early stages in getting involved in the show? Great. So uh, our producing director at La Jolla Playhouse, a woman named Donna Harrell, um, was working on the NAMT Festival and I think was uh, kind of dramaturging gently with you guys. Uh, and she brought a script into my office at La Jolla and put it on the desk and said, I'm not leaving your office until you read this, which was a reference to that I had a stack of 55 scripts I was backed up on uh, next to it. And um, I... I, I Four pages into it, uh, I was in love with it. Um, I think, and and it's actually hard to read the script. It's so kind of like dense and specific. Um, but like David and Irene, I had been in in New York during 9/11 and had really raw and and very unprocessed feelings about it. So it felt like, wow, that seems like a thing to make a, a piece about when you 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 have so much um, sort of feeling still in there that has no way to um, to to get out. Um, and uh, I had also grown up in a small town, so I thought that the you don't see that many shows where small people who live in a small town are not condescended to. There's no sense of local yokelness in it. Um, the kind of ways that those people in that town are used to taking care of each other and just um, uh, without skipping a beat um, take care of 7,000 people who arrive at their doorstep, I found very moving. And the next... Uh, step was uh, Kelly. Did you get involved early on at that point? Yeah. So the two of you um, was Gander uh, uh, on your itinerary in the early stage, or did, is that something that happened later? I went to Gander the second time. These guys did a 
did a trip with the producers. Yeah, we had an amazing first research trip, uh, David and Irene and, and, and Sue and Randy, the producers, and Kenny and Marlene. And uh, I gained, we were there for six days. I gained five pounds. Uh, <laughs> they just like feed you all of the time. Uh, and we met pretty much all of the characters uh, from Gander um, that day. And they're incredible storytellers. You know, the, the, whether it's talking about um, the events of that week uh, uh, after 9-11 or just their lives, they're like, they're they're funny. They're emotionally available. They know right how to like add lemon right before it's going to get too the story's going to get too sweet and start to cloy. Uh, so I, I like you fall in love with those people immediately, and they're really in our lives still. The 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 named characters from this show are kind of some combination of groupies and spirit guides. I don't know. They like they show up at every opening. Uh, they keep on like inspiring and amusing and moving us. Um, and Kelly, for context, you've seen so much of her work. You guys worked together, I believe, on Memphis, and you did Jersey Boys also, and then you went on to choreograph uh, Rocky and yes. Rock of Ages. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But you got your start at a fashion uh, show in a mall, is that right? I did. How did you know that? <laughs> oh my God. Perfect yeah, I didn't know that. an amazing, amazing career. Um, you know, obviously... <laughs> I'm still in shock. That is a long time. Wow. There, you know, this isn't a show that has kick lines and, you know, the typical, mm -hmm. but um, I imagine the collaboration between the two of you to figure out the movement and the voice of the show from that vantage point was started to shape it early on. Could you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, Chris's initial idea, along with Beowulf, was like, let's see if we can do this with twelve actors and twelve chairs. That was that was it. I thought, oh, fun. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's all. Um, but it really, what was so interesting about it is that it really forced you to um, make these things and these places you know, come alive and it pushed every step forward of like, do we buy that this is a plane? Does this look like a bus? We're in the Legion. How do we switch the chairs here? How does somebody flip from character to character? Is it just a hat? And it was an amazing exercise. And I think once we started, we did a little workshop at, uh, in Seattle and we just staged the first, like the middle 25 pages. And it was the first time you know, I would set something off. I'm like, do you buy this? Does this look like a plane? Does this look like a big plane with a center aisle? You know, can we separate and be on one bus? Are we on two buses? All of those moves we discovered early on, I think, that we had something. Like, it was effective. So then it was the task of starting at the top and working your way through. But the funny thing that you don't even think about sometimes, Chris, you know, because we, we worked on this for a long time. We got lots of chances at teching this and refining and fine-tuning um, Chris would say, you know, can that chair just be over there? And I would just want to cry because it was like, it's <laughs> like, like no. pulling that thread on a sweater. I was like, yeah, but we'd have to change every single move <laughs> prior to that to get back to that chair because it really is much the way the community came together. It's like the whole company works together every moment to make all of those things happen. So it's like you have to get along, or somebody's gonna be like, "Oops, I forgot your sweater." You know, you have to really, it is. It takes a it takes a village the whole time, and and really paying attention, listening to each other, and helping each other get through the show because there are so many little sneaky pass offs, and um, and there's just a chair move every 
10 seconds. <laughs> it does turn out it's not just about kindness and generosity and working together. You actually have to work together at a really deep level just to make the show go. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I've ever actually asked uh, actors to do a harder thing than learn this show. Once you know it, it has like your body remembers it. But the process of learning it, I'd be interested to know from from Astrid and Please, Joel how yes. much they hate me. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's fiendishly difficult to put in your head because it just it doesn't never settle, right? It's just there's two lines in in this place, and then you have to turn in a dime, imagine yourself in a different place, drop the dialect, change your physicality, change the sweater. Like it's like it's like it's just turning so fast, and you have to hold it all in your in your line and make it in your head and look make it look easy all of that um <laughs> but it actually the wonderful thing about it is you you get such an incredible sense of accomplishment during i remember in la jolla like getting things like it, in rehearsal that thing of knowing i got that or like patrina's got like and this things are moving and it's just so exciting so every moment felt like something to build on so yes there were moments of like oh my come on or like it seemed difficult, but once it all started to flow, yeah, and then it's fun to be sort of like the person who sees the new person come in going, you'll get this, and it's going to feel really good when it all clicks, like anything that you work hard at, and it, and it comes together. And Delon was saying the other day, too, the thing that's difficult about all the chair moves and the choreography and stuff is it's not always connected. Like, as actors, you're connected to what you're saying and what you're doing, but the chair sometimes is just like you're part of a community and you're setting up for somebody else's scene. So it really is what you're talking about, that you your ego is, you, you can't have one. You're all lifting the story together. So it does something to you. It makes you want to only do this kind of work where you're all participating. I'm spoiled for, for anything else, really. My we were talking about chairs, and now I'm talking about that. Well, about, about the chairs, my favorite thing is anybody who comes in uh, in Petrina's track, because she's from Newfoundland. So when they'd say, oh, we need somebody to move these two chairs, she'd go, I got it. And Lee McDougal and I would be behind the piano going, did she take that? Is she going to do that? Because... <laughs> And, and so every time we're doing the show and somebody's in Petrina's track, we all sit there and smile there as they're sweating, trying to get all the things moved that she had been so nice to say she'd do. Yes. I remember there was a, there was a moment when we were working on it that, uh, that uh, downstage, uh, Chad needed to change from Garth to Kevin T. And, uh, and we didn't know how to do it. And Irene and I were sitting behind you guys, and we could feel like it was dead center. We were like, oh no, there's a rewrite coming. We have to, <laughs> we've made this, we have not, we've made the scene impossible. And, and we could feel Chris about to turn and say, I think we need to reorder this in some way or something. And P Petrina was like, I'll just take his jacket off. And, and she, like, she's the one behind him who just pulls his jacket off and suddenly he's Garth. And you're like, oh. And, and there was like this, you, you, there was this universal moment of like, oh, that's what this show is. Someone else does it for you, and, and it's, you don't have to do it yourself. It's a community. Yeah. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, 
we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Well, speaking for, I think, everybody in this room, I, I was a thousand percent from the first second with every part you played and with every part played by the um, entire cast. You know, you just moved from the plane to the bar. To you're, you're with it and with all these different characters, but how do you as actors move back and forth so seamlessly with the dialect and with the posture even, and not to mention all the jacket shifting and chair moving. How do you do that? I think that's what we love as actors is playing other people and telling stories. So really, it's a chance to show off a bit on one level. But also, each character, um, what David and Irene wrote and, and, and how you know Chris would talk to us about it and, and Kelly would move us around the stage, Every character has respect and a, and a need in a moment, whether I'm you know, the, the customs officer for a moment or something or, or whatever, that person is having that day, that 9-11 moment, that whatever's happening, and it, it, you, you bring your best to it. Like you can't slough off one, a couple seconds there because everything's going so fast and you need to pull your audience in so quickly and let them know what's happening that you just you, you, you bring your best, you bring your A game to every every character, hopefully, and then it, that happens, and it's kind of a bit of a bit of magic. And and I find even sometimes when I'm looking at people, their eyes look a bit different. Or I mean, particularly with Caesar, because I have some scenes with him as Kevin when he says freaking that, you know, f out, and and uh, then when he's when he's Ali, and he's just so different. I almost forget sometimes that it's Caesar both times. So, you know. You want to make sure you're you're matching your your colleagues, and the movement uh, and and the direction. I felt like I was on a plane. I I, I would imagine that like uh, imagining what it would be like to be on a plane for over 24 hours and the movement and the feelings. Uh, how talk about your creative process and communicating that? Well, one of my favorite things that Kelly brought right away is an idea that that uh, it's the little details, the little naturalistic details of living your life that then get multiplied and and uh, abstracted and turned into movement. So like almost everything that the actors do as part of the choreography is like something that comes from life, whether it's like opening up a little air vent on an airplane or the way you you know shift the the angle of the chair. And like the fact that it's life multiplied and intensified is one of my favorite things about Kelly's work. I mean, I, and I do travel a lot, so I do spend a lot of time on planes. And it was it was very interesting while we were in the middle of doing it. Every time I'd be on a plane, I'd be like, "What's the action on this seat? Okay, great. And how does it? Where's that knob when you push up that TV tray? What's the? All of those things. And then it was just really being super, super specific. Whether you turn on the vent and then feel the air on your face because you're stressed and you just need some fresh air. It was finding those moments too when people are trapped on a plane and, and your legs get restless and you get tired and you get uncomfortable and finding all of those physicalities with that I think was um, what well, was fun. But one, one thing that I think right at the top that I thought was really cool, the very first transition they do, right? We're in Gander. Blankets in May, everybody's freaking out. The very first time we make the plane, it is an insane, it's just an insane transition. People are just everywhere, moving stuff all over the place. And then in the last split second, they're on the plane and they sit. 
So you don't, it's like the chaos that's happening in their town from what they're hearing, what they're trying to prepare for, and you cut to this plane where people don't even know what's happening yet. So I tell you, the, 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 the cast, the original Broadway cast came to watch the tour, first tour cast in the rehearsal room. And this is an amazing moment that would never happen unless your audience was a cast that had performed this. That that tour cast did that transition that Kelly's talking about. And they did it on time and they sat on time. And the original cast gave them a standing ovation <laughs> just for the transition. Yeah, it was incredible. And another one of my favorite stories about that, too, with all the plane stuff is, now, where were we going? And, and uh, Q was, was doing the choreography on the plane, like just joking around. Oh, no, but it was... wasn't just us. There were other, like, just passengers. <laughs> and this woman was like... In the seat in front of her going, what the... So we, we had to sort of settle that, like let her know, it's, it's okay, she's not crazy, you're going to be safe. It's just, we're doing a show, and, and Q was just enjoying the moment. It was pretty fun. I would imagine that this was probably one of the most challenging cast albums ever to record because it's so integrated. It's, you know, dialogue, song, everything. It's, it must have been a massive undertaking to figure that out. It was. It was really like David and Ian and Irene that really like condensed it down into something that would work for an album. Also, we were just, we, we recorded it uh, late in Toronto before we hit Broadway. And there were still new songs going into the show at that point. So Q's big song is Hannah. She learned it in the studio, and it was being recorded as she was learning. Like, she would learn a line, record the line, learn a line, record the line. So it's like, and it's and you listen to it, you think, like, what a beautiful performance of that, which is just, um, just like, incredible mind over matter. And it was she, sort of the end of the day. We, you, were, you were there, I was there, I Randy was there, we were watching, and we were just weeping. Yeah. And I remember turning to, to Randy, and I think it was Randy, and I said... And I tell a joke after that? <laughs> Great. <laughs> no, but, but, you know, because I was trying to lighten the moment, as Newfoundlanders do, because I was just weeping because it was such a perfect... And she was so, she was just so committed, oh, even though that was the hardest thing I'd ever seen anybody do. Yeah, yeah we were throwing post-it notes at her yeah. and then taking them back Crazy. and rewriting them and giving them to her again. It was, it was, it was an awful. amazing task, what she did. The thing that I loved about recording it, if you ever get to see pictures of it, is um, you, you typically do a cast album and there's, you know, there's one singer or, or you'll do the background singers and then you'll do the, the lead singer on top. This was 12 people in a circle. Each one has a, had a little isolation booth. We tried to take a picture, you know, panning all around and Irene and I got to sit in the middle of it and you could see them singing to each other and bouncing off each other and it was uh, it was it was really magical the hardest part of that was again just like making the show was we couldn't include the entire show on the album and how to make a good album uh, that represented the experience but still left some new material for people to find in the theater as well uh, your process of, of development and the trajectory to Broadway is unique and in, in, in so many uh, stops along the way. And I'd love for you all to talk about what that was like in terms of introducing this show to the world. Also, as far as it, you know, how did that help your figuring all this out? And, you know, I'm sure it evolved along the way. Um, and talk about, you know, from La Jolla on, by the time you got to Broadway, um, Piece of cake, all those chair moves. <laughs> well, just, I mean, we did. We went um, a after what uh, David and I redescribed of uh, of Sheridan College, Goodspeed, and Namped. We we did La Jolla Playhouse, Seattle Rep, Ford's Theater, 
we had an amazing couple of days. We, we, we did a benefit concert of the show in Gander in the ice rink that had been turned into a refrigerator during the week of 9-11. And 2,500 seats, we did it twice. So 5,000, like more than half of the town of Gander was there at those two, of those two performances. And the feeling in that room, the like, they're telling our story, that, that this, is a, this is our story made, made theatrical. And about five minutes before the end of the show, you could feel it started, like the story was starting to end. They just started to scream. I've never seen like an audience watching and screaming, just like a, like a wall of sound coming back at the actors. It was a really emotional moment. It was like being a rock star. And when Petrina stepped up to the to the mic, because she's from Newfoundland, that it was like David Bowie had just entered the building, or, or fill in the blank, fill in whoever your, you know, your rock icon is. It was amazing. Uh, and one of my favorite things of, of that is that when we sing, um, there's a part of a, a sort of a sea shanty partway through, you know, when we sing, farewell to all you pretty, na 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 you heave away, and uh, it came back at us from the audience. They sang back to us, so they participated and just, it felt like the benediction we needed to like the, the blessing or whatever you want to call it to, to go forward knowing that we were honoring their stories and they felt like we were taking them with us. And it was, yeah, it was pretty... Amazing. And, and we entire, all bawled. Everybody started bawled. to dance at the end. I was like, the, that thing that you always want your curtain call to turn into, like a big dance party, they actually just, everybody got up and danced for, for 10 minutes. Rodney and I helped Derm up on the stage, and he grabbed both of us and screamed, we're going to have whiskey! <laughs> so I guess I guess we passed the test, yeah. Uh, I would imagine, oh, I'm sorry, Debbie, go ahead. I was just going to say how magic it was. You know, all the way along, we've had um, the real people coming along. So in, in La Jolla... Um, Beverly Bass came and said, uh, she had no idea what we were doing and sat there and cried constantly and we looked at we watched the back of her head and yeah. were terrified about what she would think and um, in Seattle Claude came um, so many times the real people have, have come and given us their blessing or in um, in Washington in DC uh, when we had uh, people who were directly affected who had been in the Pentagon who came to see the show and gave us their their blessing on the show and said that it was a testament to the people they had lost um, that's that's what meant the world to us and then coming to Gander was incredible the, I think the, the thing for us that um, starting in La Jolla I, it was the first time that sh the show was going to be reviewed it was the first professional thing it was the first time working with with almost everyone and we were really scared and I remember um, you know to Chris's genius about working this out and working with our producers about mapping out this development process I remember Chris said I think we're going to get about 80% there and we were like, what do you, no, it needs to be 100% there. It needs, you know, and uh, and I don't even know if we got 80% there. You know, we were probably like 60 or so. We, we, we kept refining it. It was such a gift to take it and have the chance to bring the real people there and have the chance to really develop it over and over and over again and have gander and, you know, have the pressure of getting the accent right and, uh, and then bring it to Toronto and get the Canadian... Uh, 12, 12 actors that don't have a Newfoundland accent that have to all of a sudden perform this show, besides Petrita, perform the show in front of five, you know, 2,500 a show was, I, your faces were, I, I was feeling for you. That was, that was quite the feat. And, and, and again, they just embraced, it was, it was great, embraced your open arms. I felt like one of the things that really changed the most in that in those last five productions uh, on the way to New York was the the darker tones in the show all got leaned into, beefed up. I mean, and I think some of that's because the original interviews people gave, like the people 
are so generous with each other that they told all the generous parts of the story instinctively and immediately and all the moments of tension and discord and the moments people did not behave beautifully with each other or the the the, the difficulties had to get dug for so that the the song about Hannah um, uh, um, and her son, um, and her son, the firefighter in New York, and the strip search of Ali at the airport. Both of those were were two of the last pieces to come in. Um, and and I think in balancing the show, it was pretty clear to us that some of the generosity and kindness of these people was even more heroic because it was hard. They they didn't speak the same language. They didn't have the same religions. A lot of pro, there was a lot of impulse to profile people from the Middle East. Um, there was a lot of reasons why this shouldn't have, have, have gone as well as it did. And digging into some of those were some of the last pieces that came into focus. I would imagine your stage door is ridiculously I was, emotional. I was going to point out that you asked earlier about us playing all these multiple characters. Each character is so vitally important because at some point we meet that person or we meet a relative of that person or we meet somebody who was on the planes or somebody from Gander almost any show of the week and we have to be there for those people every performance yeah. you can't ever have a show where you just don't care about that character we this last week we had a woman come up to us after a show and she had a rose for each of us her mother was from germany and was on one of the planes that got uh diverted to gander she said my mother never got to see the show but she told me stories so yeah and got she's, that. she's friends with the people who took care of her mom yeah so she, yeah. she gave us all a rose which was very sweet there's always i mean there's so many stories and it's hard sometimes not to, to sort of that's the, the thing about being an actor and, and also just being a human in the world is like to take it to take it on so much. So trying to find skills, I think finally I'm finding the skills to to be present with people when they're giving their their story of grief or their story of of, of tragedy and and be present with them. And then when they go, realize I don't need to to carry it as well. And that's uh, that's been really great. I don't know exactly why that came up, but it's just been recently, there's been some people who really, they're, they're kind of coming around to, people have said, no, you'll be okay if you come to the story. They take care of you. Even in the beautiful way that it starts and the way it's designed, it's not an urban setting. It's trees, it's chairs. You meet the you know people from Gander first, and then we go to the plane. So there's just this, you know, because we had different openings. We had, an, one of our first openings was, was sort of a, this beautiful but eerie, kind of a little scary thing. So this kind of having the bra on, like this this drum beating with this heartbeat, you already feel like right away, like oh, so you know something, you know it's a heartbeat, and there's oh these people are really nice, and you meet Claude, and who wouldn't love Claude, and especially as Joel does him, and he's just we're just talking to you, and it's like hey come on welcome, and uh, and so people come and they feel taken care of, and that's, that's a great thing because we wouldn't want them to be add to any of their trauma in any way. So, and catharsis, like you said, those unresolved feelings you have about 9-11, or anybody does, I mean, theater at, it, at its best is a cathartic moment, a moment to be together as a community and cry together and laugh together at the same time. I mean, it's, I love our show. And the, and the, way, the way this show ends, you know, that. There's, it moves right into music, and nobody wants to leave. Mm -hmm. It's 
did that uh, was that part of it in the, from the beginning, or is that something that you introduced later on? So, uh, so that was in La Jolla. Um, Chris asked for some exit music. We, we were like, well, the audience is going to leave, and maybe we can have some music when they go out. And and so uh, with Ian, we put we put together you know this fun collection of tunes and. Uh, <laughs> it was the worst exit music ever because <laughs> no one laughed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they, they did, and, like, so over like the first four previews, like, and they were off stage. We hadn't really brought them at that point. The, the odd band wasn't really on set. They were kind of very much in the wigs in the in the back. So we were like, well, I guess if they're gonna stay, we'll we'll like get like at least a little bit on stage. So this so the next night they were like. The band was kind of peeking in a little bit. And by like three nights later, they were like center stage with choreography and lighting cues because the audience clearly like needed to be, they weren't done. They like needed to be to, together with the music, together with the band. And they the, whatever community is formed in that room by experiencing that story, they needed uh, another, another couple of minutes in the music together. Genius. Uh, I have so many more questions, but I'm sure you do too. Uh, so is there anybody here that would like to ask a question? Yes. And I'm just going to repeat it so that we can capture that. Uh, the question is, for the actors, there's so many actors that have been part of the show from the very beginning, and you are all still there and giving it your all every single night. That is a rare thing. Good question. Well, most of us have been in this business quite a while. I mean, most of the cast are, you know, have been around the block. So we've... <laughs> We've experienced doing many different types of shows and many different types of theater, and we know a good thing when we see it. We don't really want to walk away that because we're kind of spoiled right now. Um, this is a story that we feel has integrity, um, that we have great respect for, that we never feel like, oh, I got to do that tonight. Um, we really, and the and also the community, um, our. Our producers and, and our creative staff have done a brilliant job of creating a community. They were very, very careful in their casting, and the people that they've hired have been really generous, lovely folks to work with. So, And that's true of the crew, that's true of the band, that's true of everybody. And that makes it really hard to leave. And adding to the crew and the band and everybody, also the people who come and see our show, it, as you said, it does kind of create a community in the room, uh, in the theater when people go, and that's really magical. That sort of communication with is rare because a lot of shows you do. There's the fourth wall, and yes, you can feel the audience plugged in with you. But here, there's so much direct address. We really go on a ride with everybody every night, so that keeps it fresh and new. So as long as it's still feeling fresh and new, I think, yeah, it's it's a great place to to work. Yes.
ongoing, this is making a difference in so many people's lives. So, just thank you. Beautiful. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, uh, this show um, obviously has a universal theme of <laughs> kindness and caring, but in, in, at the same time, it's, it's a very Canadian and uh, about a Canadian story about events that happened in the United States. So when you took it to Australia and to London, <laughs> was there any concern that it wouldn't translate? And, and if so, did you make any tweaks <laughs> with those companies that are? Just to repeat the question, such a Canadian story and an American story, and how you approached um, bringing it to Australia or London, and any kind of uh, changes that you had to make, anticipating a different reaction from the audience. I think uh, we've been I mean, we've been surprised from the very beginning. We, you know, when we first wrote this, we thought Canadian high schools would be forced to do this. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're very surprised that we're here, and it's it's a delightful dream that we're having. And um, so every time we take it somewhere else, we're a little like, what's it going to be like there? Um, uh, but we've what we've been what we found is that this story is a really universal story. Not only um, on 9/11 were we all in the same boat, and were we all wanting to help and felt helpless at the same time, but. Um, but uh, unfortunately, since then, there's been so many times where we felt similarly to uh, to tragedies and to things that have happened. So we found that 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 universal response to the show, I, I think, is fueled by each country's individual response to 9/11 and to tragedies since then. Um, we've been for very fortunate about not having to change too much. Um, one of the things that we found in the UK. Uh, uh, there's one line about the tube, which I think we actually kept in, um, but 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 you know there's a question of you know do you refer to a TV as a tube or is it a subway? Uh, but the biggest change that we had to change is that no one had any idea who, who, who Tom Brokaw was over there. Um, <laughs> But fortunately, um, we had a backup because uh, uh, Brian Mosher, who the character of Janice is half based on, um, uh, he was approached by Oprah Winfrey, uh, and he and he will proudly, uh, if you go to his house, which he will invite you to his house, he will proud you, proudly show you his answering machine, which he still has out, and he will play you the message for, uh, uh, that that he was uh, He was contacted by Oprah Winfrey to uh, to get his footage, and so and so he changed it to Oprah because she's international. <laughs> Just uh, following up on that, it, it is. We were worried that it was going to be a North American story, and and it wasn't going to translate all the way. But it is really, uh, you know, in England, all the Brexit in um, in Australia. There's really they have their own version of a, a society that's kind of dividing left right and uh, and and blaming people who look different and seem different and seem other and seem foreign as opposed to. Feeling like you're all in it together, so I mean, I think there is something about the story that turns out to be really universal. And also, 9/11 was actually a worldwide event, right? Like it, not quite as intense as it was in North America, but but it was in a lot of people's lives. The scary thing is now sometimes that you you have actors who actually uh, were barely born at 9/11, <laughs> so you actually have to do some kind of dramaturgical backdrop with them. Uh, and then there's one character in the show, uh, Joey, who's like kind of the party guy on the plane that does, hasn't heard anything about it. And every country wants that to be theirs. They're like, the Australians are like, we're like that. And the British are like, oh, we have that. So that actually, that character tends to be from whatever country we're doing it in. And it, what a, it's timeless to be telling this important story about welcoming refugees. 
you know, really important. Uh, way back there. Yes. Well, so the staging is really a collaboration between Kelly and I all the way. I mean, we were a lot of times Kelly and I, when we work together, we'll sort of do two separate rooms and have like a dance room and a scene work room. This was really always together. Um, so do you want to answer that? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just it literally was scene by scene. So it would be whatever the next location was. We would move the chairs, make it look the way we needed it to look, backtrack, go through the scene block the scene where it made sense and it was most effective and then and then it's like okay and it just felt like a little puzzle so I'd say you're going to take this chair you're going to go there and we would just do it chair by chair and then you do it 15 times so they do it effortlessly and it lands in you know five six seven and plane so it's <laughs> it is response there was a moment of like okay so it was it was just it was literally scene by scene and we just kept doing that every day and just keep going forward with it we also just having that there's five companies out right now and, I, and we've done it enough times that you can actually recognize the nervous breakdown day you can, re, you can like here it comes this is the nervous breakdown day we're like like there, there will be tears there will be i just uh, like a, a suddenly the cast doesn't believe that they will ever learn it uh, and it, it's like it's like day four of week three is like the average <laughs> nervous breakdown moment. Uh, it never stops either. I mean, that's the thing. They never stop. And so the moment, especially when you guys are learning it, the moment that they're sitting in a chair thinking about what's next, they've missed their chair move. Literally. I mean, you'd see that you're like, oh, <laughs> because they were just thinking about where they were supposed to go and everybody else is already on the plane and they're like, well, I missed, <laughs> I missed that flight. <laughs> Did you guys uh, have musical chairs at your opening night? I mean, <laughs> killer, killer, you know, team of people playing that. Uh, okay, we have time for one last question. Oh, my goodness. Uh, sir. So much so, we do a lot of um, Q and A's with high school students and stuff. And really, I mean, they've been born into this 9/11 world, so they're curious about why there's so much security at airport. Like, there was a time when people didn't have to take off their shoes, like those kind of things. But on a bigger scope, I think they're responding to the sense of community, the sense of people being kind to each other in a world where they, in social media and the internet and TV, everybody's just. Grr, you know, and and you know, being kind feels good, and it doesn't cost anything, and it's it's something everyone can do. And I I really have great great optimism I when I meet. Yeah, Joel and I talk about this sometimes. The young people we meet, so uh, they're so smart. We're, I'm so excited about what they're. 
they're going to do. It's uh, it's really exciting, and I think that's one of the reasons they're they're loving this show and that it does reach across. It doesn't have to be for just people who experienced it or who or who um, who know about it. Well, I wish we could keep talking, but um, I want to just thank our panel so much for for telling this beautiful story. Uh, It's, it is a timeless, classic story of uh, how love can grow out of darkness uh, that means the world to me. So Astrid and Joel and uh, Irene and David and Kelly and Chris, thank you all so much and thank you for being here for Deep Dive Broadway. Thank you for listening to Deep Dive Broadway, produced by Dory Berenstein, edited by Alan Seals, and special thanks to Bia and Brittany, who were fabulous. You can find me at bpn.fm slash deepdivebroadway. My Instagram is dory.berenstein, which is B-E-R-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Please subscribe and leave lots of fabulous comments, and check out my website at dramaticforces.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.